What's up, Gumbo listeners? Demetrius here, dropping another Data Protection Gumbo episode for you. And today I have Roland Miller, backup industry veteran on. And Roland is an enigmatic figure in the data protection industry, having first worked in backup as a support engineer at SGI in the golden ages of Silicon Valley, helping customers save their jobs by recovering lost files. First schooled in the arcane dark arts of Legato Networker, he went on to help architect some of the most modern backup solutions in the data center and the cloud. But at the end of the day, he's just a good guy that wants to keep your data safe and keep you from having to pay the ransom. Gumbo listeners, Roland talks about some of the differences in hybrid cloud, on-premises, and cloud native, along with some of the best innovations in the data protection industry in the last decade. So let's get right into the episode. Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo, Roland. How are you today? Hey, very good, Demetrius. How are you? You know, it, it is a, a privilege to to have you on the Gumbo. And the reason I say that is because uh, I, I really, really dig your experience that you, you've been around the block kind of like myself and you've You've held multiple leadership positions. You've been at Actifio, Comvault, Rubric, Clumio, and now you are at AWS Backup. So uh, your experience goes wide and deep. So let, let's see if we can have a great conversation and we can let the Gumbo listeners leave, leave with some great insight. How about that? How does that sound? Yeah, that sounds great, man. That sounds great. What impact did you see from covid on startups and also the backup and recovery industry in general. Oh man, yeah, that's uh, well, that one's pretty broad. Um, but I'll definitely say that you know, coming into it, right? If you think back to you know, really a year ago now, you know, it was that thing that was kind of on the news. It was just starting to pop up, and and for the most part, people were, you know, they. They were keeping an ear out to it, but they weren't really doing anything. They weren't listening to it, right? What was they, nobody had any idea what was coming next? Because I even remember at that time, I was, you know, I'm, I was a weekly flyer. I was hopping on airplanes, you know, and I want to say this time last year, I was on an airplane flying to California, right, to go uh, visit my last company's, you know, headquarters, and you know, there was no concern, nothing like that. And when I got back from that trip, right, I had several other trips lined up. And then all of a sudden, the shutdown started to occur, right? They started announcing yeah, restrictions. Yeah. And it started, it, it happened fast. It did. And then it was like, it just cascaded. And I, I was supposed to, my last trip was in February. It was supposed to be in February. It was supposed to go to a, um, a, a very large sales kickoff, right? For a major mm-hmm. uh, VAR, major reseller. And I was supposed to present our solutions to 400 plus, you know, sellers of this, uh, of this reseller. And, and it went from being like, okay, we're going to spend a week in Atlantic City to, all right, we think it's just going to be, you know, two days now, right? So just come in for these two days and and then go out, like mm-hmm. just do your thing and leave. Um, to, okay, we, we now it's going to be virtual. To it's canceled, and all of that happened within the span, like all that th- those changes happened within the span of a week. Yeah, yeah, it's and crazy. Then every other trip after that was canceled, canceled, canceled. You know, it was interesting to see all that kind of play out. And what really also happened is, is the impact to the industry, right? You watched, you know, I watched people's projects and their priorities shift drastically as well. You know, 
especially in the early days, you saw people go from, hey, I have this major backup initiative, and we're going to do, you know, we're going to be transformative to, all right, we're putting all of that on hold. Uh, give us a call next year. Um, I got to figure out how to get, you know, 4,000 employees to work from home, right? And you saw that mad scramble of how do I, you know, get these people to work from home. And I think what was interesting, you know, what, what that also did was is that broke the dam on cloud and cloud adoption. Mm, so so what, what do you mean by that? Broke, broke the dam of, of cloud adoption? You know, when a lot of our applications, you know, because I saw this even with my, you know, my kids' school, right? My, my children, my elementary, you know, now all of a sudden kids weren't going to be in class. They're going to be all online. All of a sudden, how do you get them online? How do you get the applications they're using online? You know, I've, I've worked with, you know, school districts before and they have, you know, these data centers in one of the schools somewhere and they've, they're running a lot of virtualization, VMware, things like that. Um, but it's still a lot of homegrown apps, SQL, Oracle databases. And now all of a sudden you have an entire school district, right? Not a, a few hundred kids, but thousands of children. All of a sudden they all need, you know, a, a video conferencing app like Zoom, right? Their Blackboard application, right? Now their servers are being crushed or they don't have the bandwidth going into these data centers. And what you started to see was, you know, they needed to figure out how to shift these applications and make them more available. It wasn't always, it wasn't strictly like a retransformation, you know, like a lot of times we talk about cloud and we want to be, you know, super transformed to rebuild your app on top of the cloud. But what you really saw was, hey, I have to get this application out of the data center. I need to put it somewhere where everybody can get to it. And I think that accelerated and moved forward a lot of cloud adoption. Sometimes, you know, sometimes it was in the form of lift and shift, but I also saw a ton of SaaS adoption, right? Software as a service. And I, I guess the the impact on, on the consumer. So let's let's talk about the uh, actual corporations, the companies across, let's say, healthcare, financial services, manufacturing, literally any company today, you know, as as we like to say, digital digital transformation is happening because each company has to have some type of digital strategy around how they're going to get the best cost efficiency across all of their systems. Uh, what, what have you seen, I guess, from a consumer perspective, the, the, the companies that are consuming uh, backup, consuming storage, have you seen, you know, like more lifting and shifting or refactoring or replatforming? I guess, what, what have you seen from that perspective? Are they adopting SaaS and cloud technologies more so than some of the legacy appliance type companies? I am. I mean, I see, first of all, I, I feel like the things that I've been experienced or exposed to is SaaS is really the easy button. It's, you know, you're seeing this with companies who, um, you know, take like Atlassian, for example, right? Like Jira and apps like that, you know, people, and even like a service now, you know, people used to deploy, you know, oddly enough, you know, five, six, seven years ago, um, you might install that software in your infrastructure, right? And they've always had a kind of a cloud option, but it was almost like for the SMB, but the large enterprises, it was all about like, you know, they worried about the data, the security, and they wanted yeah. control. Um, mm -hmm. But now you see more of those apps just converting to pure SaaS plays. You saw it with like MongoDB, right? Mongo was, you know, a lot of companies were building apps on top of it. They were deploying in their data centers. And now, you know, Mongo's business model shifted to like a SaaS um, delivery model. And I think that makes sense when you really have a specific software feature. It's, 
it makes a lot of sense to deliver software as SaaS, but it's not always feasible, right? There are times and applications that require infrastructure in a data center, in a facility somewhere. Um, you see this a lot with like um, certain types of healthcare applications, right? You can't just have your, you know, your entire EMR in the cloud, because if you lose your connection to the cloud, then what, how do you manage your patients in the hospital, right? And so there will always be some level of hybridization, I think, um, specifically for those industries that you mentioned, like, you know, healthcare, manufacturing always has to have machines on the floor. You know, I've seen that with, you know, like, air, you know, airplane manufacturers, for example, you know, they've, you know, the assembly line's going, they have all these robots, this automation, things like that. You know, you can't have run all of that purely from the cloud, but there is a lot that's going to be hybrid. Um, but a lot of the smaller stuff, the smaller businesses, right, the ones that used to just stand up and run their own little infrastructure, you know, 10 years ago, you'd have to go, you still have to go buy some uh, virtual appliance. That was the thing, like move to hyperconvergence, make your life easier. Mm -hmm. Now, a small business can launch their entire business with a, a handful of SaaS applications, right? And an internet. Connection. Okay. Yeah. I, I am definitely seeing the same thing. And just if you take a step back and you look across uh, like what some of the major, like the major three, the big three cloud vendors. So, you know, AWS and Google and also uh, Microsoft Azure, uh, kind of how the market is shifting and changing and it's becoming more cloudy uh, because people are, figuring that they can get the the cost efficiency and the agility and the portability that they really need for all of their systems. Now, if you step back and you take a look at the scale of storage and let's say data storage management, like exabyte scale, so growing to hundreds of thousands of systems that you are responsible for, for protecting that data, what are you seeing or I guess what's your thoughts around like once you get into the big leagues of, you know, managing large, large fleets of systems, yeah. what, what do you think is the best way to, to go about that from a data protection and a backup and recovery perspective? Well, that's, that's, you know, you deal with different problems at different scales, right? So to your point, like if I'm in the data center, right, I'm man, I, you know, I have a fairly good, you know, easy to manage scale to, to deal with. When you start dealing with, you know, the, the goods and bads, right, of, you know, public cloud is the the size is at a completely different scale. And so that creates its own challenges because you can't um, always treat every application or service with the same level of, like, that's, that's the ideal, right? Like, you want to create, like, one standard for everything. And it's hard to do that. And I think you see this with the, you know, the third-party softwares out there is, you know, you will find some that are good at one thing, but not good at another. And so you have to, so when you move into the cloud, you start thinking about how do I pick and choose, you know, my, um, my data protection vendors and, um, you know, my software ISVs to, to meet the needs of my business. What a lot of cloud providers are trying to do is you, you want to create really a standard set of services, right? And at the end of the day, you know, data protection is such an integral part of IT operations that there will always, that, you know, as a cloud provider, we're always going to have to build in a certain level of service for everything, right? And we can't pick and choose and pick favorites necessarily, right? You, you have to provide a certain level of a baseline service for everything. And I think there's opportunity for, you know, third-party ISVs to add value on top of that, um, but I think it would be, 
you know, a little difficult for them to come in and say that they're going to support every possible service out there because there's a lot of services to, to build. Yeah, right. Tell me about it. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, going back to really specifically address your question, you know, when you're dealing with major, you know, fleets of servers and um, data sets and just, you know, the X byte scale, like it really is about having to divvy up that workload, um, you know, and do a dis- kind of a distributed way of, of managing. And it requires a lot of resources to protect, right? I mean, you see in the data center, you know, you have to, you know, if you've ever set up a, an on-prem, you know, backup for a large organization, you know, you have lots of data movers, you know, lots of storage devices just dedicated to the, to the backup system. Um, it's no different when you get into the cloud. It's just, you know, you use a lot more automation. Um, there's a lot more that happens behind the scenes is, is the way I'd put it. Okay. And maybe just a little bit of a one-on-one, you know, I guess, how is hybrid cloud different or more challenging than just your on-premises or or cloud native environment? Yeah, what I see is, you know, it's really interesting to me is is watching the transformation of the data center as, you know, people are swinging from on, you know, but it it was no different than, you know, when we went from like, you know, uh, big iron, you know, to client server, right? You see these transformations, um, you know, mainframes didn't go away. There's still a few out there, right? Right. Um, you know, there's places where they still have a fit. You know, mm-hmm. IBM's got a nice mm-hmm. good foothold in, in certain uh, environments and workshops. Um, but at the at the same time, now you're seeing the, the on-prem, you know, the client server move to virtualization. Now virtualization's moving into cloud. What's different about cloud is, you know, you have a number of things. You have a lot of these microservices people are building new apps on. But then you have a lot of the on-prem, the legacy, right? It's the, the way the apps were built before. And, you know, we're always trying to protect the data. And we and when we back up data in the data center, right, a lot of people, what their vision is, they, you know, they want things like a single pane of glass for both environments, right? That's a challenge, right? How do I manage my on-prem you know, uh, VMware and Hyper-V and, and Oracle and SQL, the same way that I manage, you know, my in-cloud workloads, regardless of which cloud better you protect, right? So they're, they're looking for that single pane of glass, but at the same time, they are also asking for things like, hey, if I have a DR event in my data center, I need to be able to spin this up in the cloud quickly, right? And, and so that you're also dealing with transformation, right? You're taking data sets that were on VMware, like VMDKs, and how do I launch that in, you know, in the public cloud, or do I have to transform them to launch those applications? And then the, outside of the app, you have all the configuration around the virtual infrastructure, the, you know, sort of the your virtual private cloud that you built, right? Your networking, your DNS, right? All the basic network services have to come along with it. So I think though, that's what makes it a, little, a lot more challenging is because in traditional environments, I would stand up two data centers, I'd have sort of preset network environments so that I could push a button, you know, and, and DR failover to the other side. Um, and now they're looking for the data protection uh, providers to do that for them. There's some interesting, sophisticated solutions out there that I see, you know, different companies that are trying different things. Um, some have recently been acquired by other cloud providers and things like that. And, and so you, you sort of see where, where the direction's going. But I, I, one thing I'll probably give some insight into is I feel like there's now a convergence around DR and backup, right? And DR backup's always been a part of DR, but now I see a more demand for, you know, people want that 
disaster recovery replication kind of baked in. I guess let, let me jump in for one second. What, what are some of the best innovations in data protection that, that you've seen just over the last, let's say, decade, maybe? Like your top two. I don't know. Uh, you know, it, it's been interesting to watch. I've seen different, um, you know, innovations at different levels for, you know, some of the companies that I've been part of. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I'll, as an example, I joined, you know, data domain late in the game, but like, you know, deduplication was probably like the, the prior <laughs> decade was the single largest um, innovation yes. in the space, right? Just it was so right, transformative. Yeah. Um, I feel like I still have nightmares. I still have nightmares around DD. <laughs> Just the conversations that stem from deduplication, man, they used to make my head hurt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but I think, like, you know, there was a huge simplification when the converged story, right? Our story happened, you know, the hyperconvergence of, of data protection, because I think that was a necessary step. Like, you know, backup was becoming unwieldy, right? Prior to that, I remember, you know, going to a very large um, state, you know, or, you know, data center in one of the, one of the states in the U S and, you know, managing, you know, three petabytes. And we had, you know, standing up, you know, 50 media servers. I had to put in, you know, fusion IO cards for all of them to perform the deduplication at, at speed. Right. And then physically you had to physically do this. Oh, I was, yeah, I, I was on the architecture team. So I wasn't, the, oh, I wasn't okay. turning the screwdriver, but it was just, but you know, it was, that was my design. They had to implement gotcha. it. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, all right. But I just remember, you know, you think about that and you go, you know, I have all of these physical servers spread out. I've got all these, you know, this flash that I'm adding to these servers to make them perform. Everybody's got to have 10 gig networking. And then I'm drawing out all the network diagrams and we're, you know, configuring all the IPs and you realize like, all the, and then on top of that, that was just the hardware. And then all the software still had to be laid on top of it, right? Somebody had to install Windows or Linux and then install our application on it, right, to make it all happen. And the Converge story came out, right? And that was, to me, that was a major innovation because it, you know, it was back up in a box, right? It was like order, you know, one or 20 of these, you know, appliances. And once they're stood up and... You go through the initialization, the rest of it is all done, you know, pretty, it, it's all really fast. It's all done. You, know, you set your policies, appoint data sources at it, and then you just let it do its thing. So I thought that was really significant. But then the other part is cloud, right? I mean, cloud is just, you know, integrating cloud, not just using cloud as a tape replacement. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the... Just for archive, maybe. And only that. Yeah. You know, I mean, like things like, you know, now we're, you know, we're stepping up the game. So like, I feel like the the whole ransomware protection story is becoming so integral to the data protection space. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Right. Because, you know, that was one of my, um, you know, early rubric customers. I remember was, uh, you know, customer down in Australia, they got hit by ransomware and, um, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who that and is. Our friend, uh, you know, Frank Yu down there just, you know, he, he was such a great uh, solution architect, right? He just whips up a, you know, up, you know, he was a chef guy, so he did it in Ruby, right? <laughs> but he writes up this, basically, it was a massive find and replace script. You know, it's like find every file mm-hmm. with this, you know, dot extension and restore it. 
And this, was this before um, Polaris? Yes. Yes. Okay. This was like way before Polaris. This was like okay. two years before Get, that. Got it. Right. It became kind of the genesis for it, right? Because it was like we were, you know, we 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 you know we had the call with the customer. I was actually in California at the time, and mm -hmm. um, you know, he's down there in Australia, and you know, and he's actually actually no, he was in Japan. I think I swear to God, I think he was like riding this thing while he's riding the Shakasan, but you know, between uh, you know Tokyo and Osaka or something. And, yeah. Um, but then he sends the script down, and they run it, and then, like I said, it just did a massive find and replace, and. We got the customer, all the customers' database. It was like ten thousand files were restored over the period of like you know right. a couple of hours. En encrypted was, files, right? Right, encrypted files, mm -hmm. and but it was shocking that it was like, hey, that worked. Yeah, and you know, and then we refined it and we got it, made it better. But that it was like that became sort of the, of like, hey, we might have something here. Right. Yeah. Do something about this, mm -hmm. right? Um, and that became the genesis of you know what later went on to become you know the the Polaris and some of the their ransomware recovery tools, and now you're seeing that across multiple vendors, right? Oh yeah, you know, a lot Man. of vendors are offering that. Um, but, but I think that's probably the last really major thing of this last decade was the, the whole ransomware piece because now this decade going forward, like we see this everywhere. Yeah, every day somebody's being hit by it. It's not just a a localized problem. It's really becoming a, a you know, a, a national and an international problem. Right. right. Yeah. And I was just having a conversation with the CISO yesterday and we did an entire episode just on ransomware and how clever these guys are getting. And um, they're, they're, have you heard the one about them making cold calls and, and getting people, you know, they'll, they'll encrypt your system, get access to it, encrypt it. And then they'll call you and say, hey, we have your data. It's encrypted. If you want it back, you need to pay us right now in cryptocurrency or Bitcoin or whatever the case may be. And they have an actual call center that you call back into to make the payment or something like that. Wow. It's, uh, it's, it's beginning to get sophisticated. And I always say that the career of a bad actor from a ransomware perspective may be a little more lucrative than just being a regular system administrator because you get paid tons of money. But I, I don't recommend anyone to go out and do any criminal activity just to, <laughs> you know, triple <laughs> triple uh, their, their salary. And I, and I know we can talk about ransomware, you know, on and on and on. But what, what I really want to talk about now is the advice that you would give a, a backup administrator, a storage administrator, an architect in the industry right now that's out of a job you know, the pandemic did did a nice number over on, on, on a lot of people. You know, there were a lot of layoffs happening across, you know, all industries. And fortunately, IT wasn't hit as hard as, you know, some of these other like retail and some of these other manufacturing companies. But, you know, what advice would you give to a backup or storage administrator right now as far as, you know, looking for, for a new position? Would you give them advice about changing their skill set or maybe going in some other direction. Wow. Well, um, you know, I mean, I guess I'll never turn anybody away from technology. I think at the end of the day, um, you know, technology is always growing. There's always opportunity in technology. The, the challenge that sometimes people run into, you know, something happens, you know, it's one thing if you get, you know, um, you know, you, your, your company goes under and so you get laid off that way and that's fine. You know, it's like that, that, 
it's no fault to yourself, right? Um, but what often happens is, you know, sometimes we just become a little too comfortable and we, you know, we we're, we're taking it easy and then it kind of sneaks up on us. And you realize then that when you're trying to go out and find that next job, you're, you know, your skill set is out of date. I feel like that's probably my best advice is, you know, if you are out looking, you know, this is your time. You have the downtime, like, yeah, sign up for, um, you know, I mean, I've, I've used them, uh, you know, a cloud guru is an example of like, training. Oh yeah. You know, like Definitely. you want to look, go look at like the top five jobs that you're interested in. Look at the the requirements for that job. What skills are they asking for? I guarantee you, there's a a training course you can take and a certification you can go go chase for that. Right. Um, and then and you know I know this isn't always easy, and you don't you know people have you know I'm not disparaging anybody that's got a you know having a hard time, but like find opportunities to um, engage in a different way. Mm-hmm. Find opportunity to volunteer. Um, you know, volunteer your services to your, you know, to your community, to your church, you know, um, you'll n- never know what kind of networking opportunities you might run into, uh, doing things right. like that. Start a YouTube channel, start a podcast, go out on LinkedIn and network with people, etc. You know, there's so many, you know, 2020 <laughs> <That's right. laughs> shifted a lot of people to, it forced you to go internal. So you had to do a lot of self-reflection. Uh, I remember sitting out on the deck and I, I hadn't had a haircut in about two months. And and I was I was recording a video of myself and it was a beautiful day. The sun was shining. It was about maybe 60 something degrees. It was just so nice. And I was just self-reflecting that, you know, one thing the pandemic did was cause everyone to slow down, stop doing what you were doing normally. and really pay attention to what's more important, which primarily is family and getting yourself together, getting yourself in shape, your health, and then maybe your spirituality to, you know, those individuals. So I'm I'm definitely there with you. I, I recommend, you know, signing up for classes, watching YouTube videos. There's all types of cloud stuff that's out there. And um, yeah, that's definitely spot on rolling. Um, the, Final closing gumbo question, since we are almost out of time. Do, do you have a technology prediction for 2021? It, it doesn't have to be backup related, but what, what do you see in your crystal ball happening in, in technology uh, this year and maybe the next couple of years? Great question. <laughs> you know, I see, you know, one, one, I see a couple of things, right? I see the pandemic lifting. Right, I see people getting their their vaccines and their shots. My actually, my daughter worked in. Um, uh, she used to work in a clinic doing COVID testing, and so she was uh, early on the vaccine list and, and has hers already. Um, but I see when that starts happening and the world starts opening up. I think that it's not that we're going to return to the way things were, but I think there's a huge pent up demand for people to get out right to get together again so i think my biggest uh prediction this year would be like maybe not in the first half of the year but the back half of the year conferences are going to be big i think that there's a lot happening in the space obviously everybody talks about like machine learning and 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 things like that but i really think that there's going to be 
a lot of transformative insights that are going to come out of this. I've seen this recently with like quantum where, you know, you've seen quantum supremacy in a couple of use cases where they, you know, they prove that like, hey, they can answer this question that would take a supercomputer a million years, right? And I think what's going to really be interesting over the next couple of years is that as they apply those techniques to some of the really interesting science questions, it's going to unlock a lot of new knowledge, right? Yeah, And I yeah. think that's right where the opportunity you. is to, to come in and, and bring in something new. Um, in, yeah. in more traditional technology, I honestly think that, um, you know, you're going to, I don't know, tech, tech is just too wide and deep, man. It's just like, it's crazy. Yeah. You know, like yeah. internet of things is, is so big. So it's, it's hard for me to look at all those things, but like, if I look at just data protection, if I narrow it back down to more of my, you know, my wheelhouse, I think it's the, uh, people are now putting the data in a place, you know, in, in the last decade, we've talked, we, uh, you know, at companies I've been at, we've always talked about transform, do more with that data, right? Gather, garner insights. And that's where things like the ransomware protection came out of. Right. But now when you actually put all that stuff in the cloud and you have the cloud resources and all of the services in the cloud available to present to that data, you can create real applications that have those insights. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, it's hard to go, you know, like I don't, it, I can't talk about NDA stuff. So that's the hard part, you know, like, <laughs> but it's just like at the end of the day, you know, the ability to crack open those data sets and yeah. look at them and have machine learning tools look at them all of a sudden becomes a possibility, not something that's in the far future. That's huge. That's huge. And, and also, I was just thinking as you were talking that, you said IoT and, you know, how Internet of Things and how the edge is going to continue to proliferate. Um, I was thinking big data. Big data would turn to humongous data. And it's just going to get really crazy because you mentioned quantum computing as well. And, you know, what's happening in that space just around like discovering DNA and strands of uh, what's happening inside of uh, in, inside of DNA and CRISPR. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that technology and gene editing. And it's just wow it's some it's some far out stuff that's happening i'm you know as bad as this past year was i feel like i'm really positive on the next decade mm -hmm. and and i think it's you know we we obviously we have a lot of social things that people are concerned about and they worry about but i always feel like you know the the technology pieces are like going to be so transformative over, transformative over the next decade um it's hard to really predict the future but it's just like all of these insights are going to come to light that were unattainable before. And I think that to me is the most exciting part is the learning. Is there a way that you would like the Gumbo listeners to reach out to you maybe on social media? Uh, yeah. If, if you look for me on uh, Twitter, I'm under uh, Roland M underscore. That's Roland with uh, two L's. Um, that's, and, and then you can look, always look me up on uh, LinkedIn as well. You know, but that, that those are probably the best ways. I'm not a big social media guy, so I don't go deep into it. But that's, you know, but I'd like to follow all my friends and, uh, you know, acquaintances that I meet across the industry. And people want to DM me, happy to answer any questions. All right. Well, I'm going to challenge you to go download the app called Clubhouse. Okay. S sign up and we can have some conversations around 
data protection and backup and recovery on Clubhouse. It's it's kind of the new thing right now. And um, yeah, just just Google Clubhouse right. app, and there's so much happening in that space, and it's uh, kind of a new competitor to TikTok. Well, not TikTok. What is it? Snapchat and. There's some others out there. I'm 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 too old to know all the, <laughs> the social media. <laughs> all right, so Roland, definitely, it's a pleasure having you on Data Protection Gumbo. I uh, really appreciate the the conversation and the insights that you provided, and uh, we'll 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 see if we can reach back out and have you on in the future. All right. All right. Thanks for having me, Demetrius. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Data Protection Gumbo. Please follow us on Twitter at DPG Podcast and join our Backup and Recovery Professionals LinkedIn group. Just search Backup and Recovery Professionals on LinkedIn and you will find the group. And until next time, Gumbo listeners, have a fantastic week.